and welcome to this week's Inside Education, a weekly podcast for educators interested in teaching with me, Sean Delaney. I'm a primary teacher and teacher educator, and I've written a book about teaching, Become the Primary Teacher Everyone Wants to Have. This is podcast number 399, and you can listen to or download all previous episodes of Inside Education by going to my website, seandelaney.com, and clicking on Podcasts. You can email me by writing to insideeducationpodcast at yahoo.com and you can follow me on Twitter at InsideEd. On this week's podcast, I'm delighted to bring you another podcast about nutrition and education. Daniel Davey runs the popular website davynutrition.com. He's the author of the number one best-selling book, Eat Up, Raise Your Game, which contains 100 easy nutritious recipes to help you perform better on exercise days and rest days. On top of that, he is the senior performance nutritionist for both Leinster Rugby and the Dublin senior football team. He works with a range of athletes in other sports. Daniel Davey is a frequent visitor to schools and is interested in nutrition education. And so I invited him onto the podcast. You'll like this week's podcast if you're interested in food and nutrition and the role of education in promoting nutrition. If you're interested in ways to promote nutrition or handle sensitive situations related to nutrition in your classroom. If you coach a school team, you'll be interested in hearing what Daniel has to say about advising the team about nutrition. Finally, you'll hear about the power and influence a teacher can have on students in both positive and negative ways. When I spoke to Daniel through Zoom, I began by asking him where his interest in nutrition originally came from. If I wanted to look at it maybe on a, on a superficial level, I would say I got to college and I was doing a course that exposed me to nutrition on a new level, a new level of detail. I do remember one day I was, it was in my first year, I was walking through the campus with a group of friends and they started asking me questions related to food and I gave them some detailed answers. And one of the guys who was a rugby player turned around and said, you're on the wrong course. Like you should be studying sports nutrition or you should be in nutrition. And it was, I actually, it stopped me um, as we were walking. And I was like, actually, that's what I'd really like to do. That's, that's what I'm, what's what I'm really interested in. But, um, and what were you studying at that stage? Uh, I was doing agricultural science, which I was very, very fortunate that I did because initially because I was keen to move over into sports performance, agricultural science was something that wasn't a traditional route. So as time has gone on, I've realized, oh my God, that was an invaluable step in my, my understanding of food production, of food science, the science of food in terms of the way food is produced and the impact then on a lesser extent on, on health and the human body. So I had an unbelievable introduction to, to food science and, and to food because the production of food has such a big impact on the quality of the food that we eat. But I suppose to give a little bit more detail to your answer, there is absolutely no question as time has gone on, I've realized I was exposed to food and the value of food from the time I was born and my grandparents and my parents had very strong values on on where food came from. Food was produced in the garden and from a farming background. And all through my upbringing, there was so much value placed 
on the food that was produced in home compared to food that you could get in the restaurant. So you very much, it was one of those things where I began to really start to live those values as I matured. Do you remember the first time that you cooked something? Uh, I feel like some of these questions are planted. It's almost like I planted them myself because I, 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 I actually, I have so many examples of this and some of them make me very proud and are, you know, give me an insight. But the first thing that I suppose I was told rather than what I remembered was at the age of probably four, peeling the potatoes from my, for my mother. Uh, so she gave me a, a peeler and that I wasn't going to hurt myself with. And I had a little red chair and she sat me outside in the back of her house and she said, here's a couple of potatoes. You can peel these for the dinner. And that's how interested that I was at an early stage. But I suppose my big, big step up onto the nutrition and food space was the agricultural contractors used to come to our, our home to cut the silage and the, the, the fodder for the animals. So the hay and silage that was going to be fed. And I remember one year and I was only maybe 10 or 11. And, uh, my mother was away, she was working, she wasn't around. And so there was 12 workmen and I had to prepare the lunch or the main meal for all of these men. And I just like, my, my dad was like, there's no way you can do it. And I kept insisting that I could. And I actually did produce uh, like a, a roast chicken dinner for the workmen at home at, at the age of 11. So it's interesting that it came from home. Was, was your interest in nutrition encouraged in school at all? I think like everything, nutrition is something that's encouraged by different people at different times. So I did home economics and I was interested in food and doing home, home economics gave me another layer of exposure to food and to how ingredients work together. At that stage, while it was very valuable and while I did give it my interest, it wasn't like at that stage, at the age of 16, that I thought, okay, right, I've got a skill in this place, in this, in this space. I was more probably interested in, in throwing eggs or throwing flour around, you know, and like playing football. But it just, it was another, like there was only two guys in the home economics class of 28 or 26. So that it was another insight that that was something that I valued from a young age. But, but it wasn't, you weren't making a connection at that stage between nutrition and sport at all. I made a connection between nutrition and sport from a very young age because I was asking my grandparents and my grandmother in particular about what her opinion was about food that helped to make the body get strong. So I suppose to give you a little bit more of an insight to my brain at a very young age, I wanted to play elite sport. I wanted to be a Gaelic football player. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be fit. And I put an awful lot of energy into whatever would make me do that and achieve that. So I did make the connection. I didn't make the connection towards the value of enjoyment in food, maybe at that stage in my life. But I most definitely started putting, these are important building blocks in me becoming a better sports person. At the moment, you do a lot of work in schools about nutrition, and you say that you'd like to translate the science of nutrition into the language of food and simple food choices. 
when you go into schools, what is your main message about nutrition for students? That is a great question. I, the reason I think that's such a good question is because all I'm trying to do is introduce the idea that food is something that has immense power, um, is something that should be valued, that should be shared, and that it can have a really positive impact on your life. And uh, to start a positive relationship between food and the idea of food uh, and how you live your life and, and, and the, the joy that it can bring you. It isn't that I'm going in there trying to tell people or, or direct people in any way to how they should live or how they should eat. I'm simply trying to say this can be fun and this can be enjoyable. And if you do want to really get into this space and do this well, then anything is possible. And that at the very highest level within sports, nutrition is seen as an absolutely fundamental pillar of performance. So do you see yourself then as mainly building awareness among youngsters in the value of nutrition? Most definitely, most definitely. The reality of it is, as you learn more about food and you learn more about nutrition, you really begin to understand how complex it is. Yes, it's unbelievably simple uh, in that we need to eat seven portions of fruit and vegetables every day and that we shouldn't eat that much takeaway or processed food or we shouldn't drink too much alcohol. That's easy. But the behaviors behind it are incredibly complex. And once you start to really understand the complexity of it, then you realize what is potentially possible to achieve in any simple session. So if I go into a school, it's a really positive outcome if I leave and those children go home to their parents and say, you know, we had this guy in today, he was talking about food. It was, it was, it was, it was interesting. I might try some of his recipes or I might try and eat a little bit more fruit and vegetables or maybe I'll skip that can of Coke every, every second of the day. You see, that's the question with nutrition. Everyone knows what they're supposed to do or what, what is a good thing to do. But why is it so difficult to get people to apply the principles that are, that are fairly fundamental and there's not that many of them? You're talking about philosophy. You're talking about physiology. You're talking about a reward centers in the brain. You're talking about behavior, and behavior is unbelievably complex. You know, our world now, I think the latest stats is, you know, we're looking at somewhere between 60 and 70% of our population in the Western world anyway, between overweight and obesity, 50% in this country at least. So you're asking a very, very simple question that's got a very complex answer that has so many different variables. It's where my conversation with you started was around the impact of my home and the impact of my grandparents, the impact of the school that I went to, who my friends were, what my interests were, what inspires me. All of those things influence my behavior and my relationship with food. And if you don't have very well-grounded, solid behaviors, habits, routines built up, then processed food can take a grip because it will give you such a pleasure and such a positive, initial positive feeling that that's what our brains remember. And our subconscious brain is a lot more powerful than our conscious brain. 
So it's how to get at that subconscious brain. It's how to get at that subconscious brain. And what we're talking about here is behavior change and understanding principles of psychology. And uh, the way that my job has changed has been understanding that I'm actually a coach and that I'm coaching people how to stay and maintain motivation. So if you look at the different elements within habits and behavior, it's desire, um, which also covers motivation. Then it's skill. Has the person got the level of skill to execute something in a way that will allow them to create, let's say, a meal or make a good decision? And then it's knowledge. So you have to be an incredibly accomplished coach to help people understand how all of these different things behave and how they interact with each other. And very often what you'll find is that people just go towards skill or just go, go towards information. And they don't understand how critical it is to bring that person along and coach them and set really appropriate targets for them on an individual basis. So even when you're working with elite sports people, as say with Leinster Rugby or with Dublin footballers, it's not just giving them meal plans, which I think probably most people would think is your work. I don't use meal plans at all. Why not? Because meal plans are not the solution. Meal plans are one resource that provides people with, I suppose, a reference point of what something can look like. So I work off helping people, first of all, to understand what their nutrition targets or goals are on any given day. That's around energy, macronutrients, carbohydrate, protein, and fat, meal timing, uh, nutrition quality, and then a very small amount on supplements. So if you think about Again, we're talking a lot about complexities. If you think about the range of athletes, I work with over 100 elite athletes. They range in weight from 65 kilos up to 127 kilos. Uh, If you think about how different, depending on their physical goals, their demands of a game, their own specific needs, likes, how many meal plans would I need to develop if I was to meet everyone's specific likes, dislikes, specific goals, appropriate to their weight, appropriate to their body composition, that's not an efficient use of my time. What's efficient is helping people to understand how many bananas make up the number of grams of carbohydrate that they need to have in a snack. You know, that's the language of food. It's about me understanding the science and the principles. So most definitely the easy thing to do most definitely the easy thing to do is to provide somebody with a meal plan that's like me handing you over a plan and saying well there does my job done it's over to you now but what really works is having a meal plan or having a reference point for what a good week or day looks like being able to swap in and out meals that suit your likes dislikes and nutrition and then helping people to stay consistent with each decision in any given day. And when they make a bad decision, understanding, first of all, why they've made that bad decision and removing a sense of emotion, ultimately negative uh, with a bad decision. 
If we go back to schools, when you go into a school and speak to students, what kind of questions do they ask you about nutrition? I'm sure they want to ask you about your work, but, but more generally about, about nutrition specifically, what do they ask you? One of the biggest problems that I'm seeing in the nutrition space is, and it's not me that's labelled it, I'm, a very fortunate, I'm very fortunate to have a, a great friend, Brendan Egan, who's a senior lecturer in, in, in nutrition and physiology, and he talks about the concept of nutritionism. You know, where we were breaking down all of our foods um, into specific good, bad types of criteria. And what has happened is that's, that's as a result of the media and the world that, that we live in. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this, is this fattening? Is this healthy? I heard that this was, you know, my mom doesn't drink milk uh, and says that we shouldn't drink, you know, so we've we've if you think about when uh, <laughs> sounds like when i grew up i never thought i'd be saying stuff like this but you know when i was in second national school and secondary school you, it was never whether having a glass of milk was a good thing or a bad thing or you know there was never this major debate over different people's lunches but that's what's happened um so it's a bit of a concern that we have such a, it's just such a skewed type of perception of nutrition. And and black and white, has, just black and white kind of. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And because there's so many different opinions and so much confusion and there's fasting and then there's paleolithic nutrition and there's vegan and vegetarian and people are influenced in so many different ways about food now that I, it, that's what creates such a huge amount of confusion. So I think, you know, whether a food is good or bad, I definitely get lots of those. But what is concerning is when I go into schools and I have young people coming up to me, I get a lot of questions about supplementation and I get questions about, uh, from, from young girls being concerned about their appearance um, and how they look and not having breakfast completely misinterpreting key nutrition concepts uh, like not eating carbohydrates and all of these things which you're trying to dispel in the best way possible. Now they've heard years of this kind of background noise around nutrition that you're not just going to correct it in one session but you're beginning to, again you asked about awareness, you're beginning to try and break through some of that, those perceptions around food. Because very often when we talk about nutrition in relation to education it centers on eliminating obesity among youngsters. What do you think of that emphasis? I can understand why it's the central theme because it's such an issue and it's such a problem and it's such a concern. But the narrative in my mind, if you really want to get through to people, you have to change what the theme is about and you have to change it. Like let's say for example, when I wrote my recipe book, the thing that I wanted to push through with the recipe book was eat up. And my upbringing was so positive about food. And it was from my mother, from my grandparents, from my granddad, from my dad. It was eat up your dinner, eat it up, get it in. And it was such a positive thing when I added vegetables to my food or when I did have my food, uh, and I, it was this idea that you're, you're nourishing yourself. 
And I think we have to get back towards a sense of reward for doing what's good. We are not going to solve an obesity epidemic by arguing about sugar or arguing about fat. We're not. They're not just the one problem or inactivity. Obesity, like I said, is something that is so complex. But if we bring, and I have lots of examples of where friends of mine who are in schools have brought it back to their food policies and helping people to really understand what's good and getting children to buy into the idea that it's a very positive thing for you, for your body, for your friends and for your family to make good food choices and rewarding that as a behavior in my mind has far greater potential to have a knock-on effect but we do need to go back to that principle in school i mean you say that obesity is complex and there's no doubt that it is i mean it incorporates things like socioeconomic status all these different things but where would you place education and particularly teachers for, from the for, for listeners to this podcast but where would you place education in terms of its importance in the overall solution to obesity among young, young people? This is not a, a fully, fully rounded, educated response, but it has to be in the top one or two places in terms of how critical it is for people to understand what good food looks like. And, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm to refer to what creates success and my experience of success, is where you have an environment where good behavior is rewarded and good behavior is encouraged. And when it's done consistently, it results in these great outcomes that I talked about in, in winning environments and winning trophies and successful ac- athletes with you know incredible achievements in the worlds that I work in. But it's always culture that people start with and what the great leaders talk about is are you creating a culture where standards around what we do are clearly set and understood and i think that the education and the culture and the fun and all of these things play so closely together and are tied so closely together that it isn't you can't have one without the other but I will say that I think that when it comes to education, the form in which it comes through is equally as important. So you cannot dictate to people how they should live their lives. It has to be a sense that this is going to really help. This is is going to change your experience. And the more you can educate while bringing value and bringing that sense of positivity back, that's when I feel that it's, it's going to have a, a, a greater potential to be successful. And if you had the ear of the Minister for Education and you, know, you could initiate a policy in relation to improving the health of the country's young people through nutrition, what would you, what would you say to him as it is at the moment? But... Uh, the first thing would be that nutrition has to be part of the programme for teachers that's the first thing and it's not about not at all having teachers qualified to talk about nutrition that's not at all what I'm talking about but if you think that PE physical education is part of our curriculum and how much is it really achieving I think it's done a 
different levels. The, the level on which we're really seeing benefits from it depends on the school. It depends on the coaching. I've seen incredible stuff done through PE uh, in different schools, but it very much varies. I mean, my PE growing up was you can go and train with the football team. That's what PE was for. And other experiences of PE were of girls who are you know, very good friends of mine who had to run around the school in their uniforms and we had no place to even change. You know, so what you're doing is creating a very negative experience of what PE, you know, children dreading it. So it first of all, to go back to your question, it has to be part of what teachers talk about, have the skills to have very simple conversations around nutrition in school. And then it absolutely needs to be built into our programs. It needs to be built into the primary school program and secondary, no question. A lot of the lessons that I see in relation to nutrition, they center on the food pyramid. How useful is that as a tool for thinking about nutrition among youngsters? Well, I certainly don't use it. I think the plates and the, uh, the idea of a healthy plate is probably a better reference point. There's even some really nice, and I use this again in my resources for educating young athletes, what a plate looks like depending on your level of activity is very, very, very useful. So what you have is uh, a plate that provides a very good visual representation of your carbohydrate, your protein, your fat, and your vegetables. And this is what a healthy plate looks like if you know, you're just looking to meet your daily energy requirements through you know, you're doing the general recommendation of, of physical activity. But here's a plate for a young athlete who's going out and playing football in the evening, and there's an increased portion of protein and increased por- portion of carbohydrate. So going back to your question about the, the, the pyramid, in isolation, it provides a very, very low level of, of understanding. It has got better. Um, it's including more fruit and vegetables and it's defining uh, a, more clearly what whole grain looks like and things like that, which is, which is a useful reference point. But in terms of education, it's, uh, it's just one very, very, very small little tool. And given that most children, in, at least in primary school, won't be able to cook a, a roast chicken for the, the kind of people you are, you are uh, cooking for, are there recipes in your book or elsewhere that students in school could try or should be able to master? Well, I go back to this as an idea rather than saying you need to be peeling the potatoes uh, out the back of your house at four or cooking for a group of men at you know, 11 or 12. I think it's just about being a part of the process. And I, I always say the people who achieve great things in life, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it be in your career as a sports person whether it be business, whether it be in your hobby, people take personal responsibility. That's ultimately what happens. People say, I'm going to manage my food or I'm going to be a part of my food. So it's a collective thing. You know, my mother I will admit this, I'm not hanging her out. Um, she, she wasn't the typical mother that provided dinner every single evening or provided every meal for, for me. 
<laughs> for maybe for a couple of different reasons, but mainly because she'd be cooking and preparing food all the time. And I was very much encouraged from a young age to take responsibility. But taking responsibility is different in every home. And it can be maybe just planning out what meals we're going to have for the week with mum or dad or brothers and sisters. It can be going to the shops, picking up the ingredients or going together and actually going through the list and being a part of that process. It can be chopping a carrot um, in helping uh, dinner to be or snacks to be prepared. So rather than saying, here's a recipe, go and make this recipe, um, and somebody doesn't have the skills, it's about looking for that support, even within your own environment, to achieve initially what you want to achieve. And as you get better, stepping up into making your own overnight oats or making your porridge or making your smoothie or whatever it might be. But the one thing I will say, I know it's that this interest is going to be different across the board, but the one thing I can say is that I was curious from a very young age. So raise your own awareness and curiosity about food. Some teachers will have students in their class that may have eating disorders of various kinds or maybe sensitive about their body weight and so on. Can a teacher go too far in drawing attention to nutrition or, you know, how can they promote knowledge of nutrition in situations where some students may have disordered eating patterns? Okay, so we're, we're talking about a very, very, very delicate type of situation. Um, one that I would say I don't have a huge extent of experience in. I do have some experience in. But the big thing is that it doesn't, it's not, it's not exacerbated. So it's not, the situation is never dramatized or it's never made worse. So you're trying to create as much as possible a safe environment for that person to have uh, their food in. Like every child should feel that whatever food that they have with them, that they're not made feel guilty about it because that is ultimately going to make them feel worse. So the child, that conversation has to be where possible had in the confines of um, maybe in private um, or if it's public that at the very, very least, your body language tells an awful lot when you're in those environments and that in no way are you trying to create layers of, well, this is better or this is worse that you always remain as neutral as possible in the face of these type of situations. But that as I go back to the same thing I mentioned earlier and when we were talking about education, positive actions are always rewarded the most, whereas negative ones are never really called out or, um, or, or like I said, it's not like you're bringing a really negative type of um, emotion or feeling to, to, to the food. In more recent years, I've learned that questions can be a really good way of navigating. So if it's appropriate and where appropriate, a conversation comes up about food. The question of, have you thought about this? Um, have you thought about using this as an alternative? Or have you tried this? This is, this is a, something that I enjoy or I've seen other children use. And that's a way of getting around the, well, you, you don't want to be using the you shouldn't or you do, don't or 
or, or down that line. But the questioning is something that I found very powerful as well for helping people to come up with better solutions for themselves. And it leaves them agency in the, in the decisions they make. Yes. My job is about, or a nutritionist's job is about empowerment. It is not about telling. It's about facilitating and empowering. We mentioned already a little bit about the relationship between physical education or exercise and nutrition. How do you see the relationship between them at primary school level or at post-primary school level? Well, they're again, they're heavily, heavily integrated and one has a significant knock-on effect on the other. So I always use the example uh, of where an athlete is in his routine, performing very well, training consistently, achieving his goals. That's when an athlete's nutrition is often at its best. Then an athlete gets sick, gets injured, gets dropped from a team, COVID-19, whatever it might be. And that's when, that's when things can start to slip within um, a person's nutrition. And it's because they've fallen out of a routine. And I've mentioned motivation before, but ultimately it's about a person's motivation and drive and intent. So they're very, very, very closely linked. And you will find that when people are more active, more physically active, it will lend to other good, positive behaviors. So we call them health-seeking behaviors. But if your nutrition is good, you're likely to be doing more exercise. If you're doing more exercise, you're likely to be sleeping better. If you're sleeping better, you're likely to be making better food choices. So all of these behaviors are absolutely interlinked, and we call them your pillars of performance. So the more you can educate around good food choices while getting adequate levels of physical activity, the more that they will complement each other. And up and down the country, many teachers are involved in coaching teams after school, whether it's GAA or whatever. What? What kind of advice could they encourage students to implement if they wanted to introduce a nutrition component to their, to, to their, to their team's performance? I'll start with one of the biggest misconceptions. One of the biggest misconceptions is that it has to be complex, that it has to be like a, a drawn-out strategy or plan or that there has to be different layers to it there doesn't you know a situation where somebody takes on leadership in the role of lifestyle and nutrition all it has to be is back around to that thing that i mentioned around questions did you bring your bottle to training so that you could use a electrolyte drink or at the very least water to hydrate are you responsible for that are you encouraging people to do that do you have a snack with you fruit and dried fruit or a flavored milk for after training so that your body can repair and replenish. Are you preparing your body for the performance at the weekend? So it's not just, it's not just in the language of preparation that it's included, but that there's some specifics included in there. But that brings enormous, enormous interest, commitment, drive, it starts to bring it into the equation. And it's then about athletes seeking more information themselves as time goes on. But the biggest thing for me is that it becomes important and that it's a regular part of the conversation. 
I, I had simple examples uh, when I was growing up of where, like initially it was like there was a banana and there was a small orange juice for after training. And that was like, that was something that was encouraged and that was something that was facilitated. But even if that was something that was facilitated by, you know, I know you don't want to be asking kids for money and things like that, but if those type of behaviors are again encouraged and talked about and there's creative ideas around that space, then that has a measurable positive impact on into the home. And some players then at post-primary school level in particular will be into elite performance in sports, whether it's rugby or whatever, whatever sport they're, they're, they're playing. What advice would you give them about nutrition? And I suppose related to that, a topic that often comes up is the whole area of supplements. Where do you stand on that in terms of their nutrition? Whether people believe this or not is up to them. But the truth of the matter is that energy, carbohydrate, protein and fat, your macronutrients, the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals you get from your fruit and vegetables, the timing of your meals and the structure of your meals, I don't know in terms of percentages. Nobody can say exactly, but it's certainly 98, 99, maybe more as a percentage of what really matters. That's where you're talking about getting to, you know, being really specific and being really consistent. And some of the best athletes that I've worked with, some of them use no supplements at all. Some of the best athletes I've worked with, some of them use vitamin D during the winter months and maybe a fish oil because they don't like fish or don't eat enough fish. And that's, that's the height of it. That's it. And it's very hard for people to get to really understand. They think professional, they think elite, they think sports. Sports supplements are one of the first things that come up when it comes to sports nutrition. And I would find that even athletes who have been working with nutritionists for 10 years, for 10 years, still have work to do on their diet. Uh, and it's, it's hard to believe, but that's where the coaching value comes in, where over time people are refining their plans their own personal plans and their own strategies more and more and more so the answer is very simple it depends on the person but you have an awful lot of work to do as a young person to get to the point where your skills knowledge and habits are good enough to consider supplementation it's very interesting advice because i think it's um it's, it's certainly not the message that that seems to be circulating from, from what you hear what advice would you give parents about providing healthy lunches for their children I often, when I'm doing presentations to parents or I'm in an environment where the topic of nutrition in children comes up, and this often strikes to the very heart of it and makes people feel very uncomfortable. But uh, the reality of, of it is this. We follow what we see as children. So being a role model in terms of your behavior has the single biggest impact. The single biggest impact is what happens in the home. So if I think about my attitude towards food, it's almost identical to my father's attitude around food. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Value it. Like I've grown to share, <laughs> but the, the, I've grown to share what I mean, my ideas, but I don't really like sharing what's on my plate. It's the same value that my dad has. And probably the strongest value that came through was, you know, that I can really identify with was even with alcohol, like I've grown into the type of drinker that my dad is, which is I savor and enjoy alcohol 
most in moderation. And that's what I've learned to value. So you as a parent, I'm speaking to you now if you're listening to me, the more that you can invest in the preparation of food in the home, the more that you eat a nutritious meal yourself, the more you prepare nutritious meals for yourself and share that as an experience with your child, the biggest impact that it's going to have. So, you know, where in the home is food valued? Do you have treats and are processed foods a, a, a large proportion of the energy that's consumed? Or are there strong values about pre preparing food? So that's the, like, that's the single biggest thing that I can say. And then when you talk about the lunchbox, it doesn't always have to be a sandwich. It can be dinner from the night before. But are you seen to in, you know, include the child in the process of preparing that lunch? Are you getting up in the morning or making it the night before? Or is it a last minute thing? So it's a really, it's about the sense of where is this important? Is this important? Yes, one of my favorite recipes in your book is the, um, the roast, roast vegetable salad. That'd be perfect for a lunchbox, wouldn't it? I've really got into adding roast vegetables into loads of different meals. I couldn't believe, let's say, for example, uh, curries and chilies. If you roast the vegetables first and then add them in, oh, it just seems brings out the flavor so much more. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's, it's, it's a good one. Okay, if we move on then more generally to education, is there a teacher who had a significant impact on you in terms of nutrition or more generally? I actually have never talked about this, so I'm going to share both sides. I wasn't a good student uh, in school. I wasn't a good student because I didn't have, I was incredibly mature on some levels, on some levels. But when it came to education, I didn't see my future beyond where I was. And it was only when things became into very sharp focus that I really realized and through a little bit of life experience and then my parents as well that this is actually very important to to really invest time in because your future depends on it but as a child i didn't see that but i will say and um, this is not unloading too much but i had very 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 negative experiences in school which caused unbelievable trauma and pain and suffering um, where I was absolutely bullied by teachers, and one teacher in particular. And that created an, the type of experience where it affected my home life, it affected my ability to learn, it affected my ability to enjoy what should have been a positive experience in school. So that's, that's one side. On the positive side, I got an A in agricultural science because I loved agricultural science and the teacher Mr. Gilligan Tom Gilligan was he loved football he loved farming and he created a, a, an environment of fun and a, a wonderful environment to learn in so I will say that Mr. Gilligan from a, from an ag science point of view I went on to study agricultural science because well, what do you know? I got an A in it and I felt good about going into that class and doing well in that class. And I did well in home economics too, but there was a, you know, the ag science part of it came easier at that stage in my life. 
so he had a positive, very much a positive uh, impact on me. But I will say that it was no coincidence that every teacher I had a very positive relationship with, I did very well in their classes. The opposite was the case in the others. I mean, even with that ag science teacher, I mean, he's, he shared a lot of interests with you as well in terms of football and farming. So, so you probably felt a sense of connection or belonging in that class. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And like even to the point that, you know, Mr. Gilligan was involved in rugby and, you know, we would make fun of the fact that Mr. Gilligan would love talking about football and rugby. But he knew what was going on in the class. And he also knew that on one level, that if he created that sense of interest on something else, that we were going to buy in more to the science that we also had to learn in the class so while there would have been a bit of fun in our in our mind it was like oh get him talking about the rugby again or get him talking about the match at the weekend so we could waste a bit of time that was also really something that we had a bit of fun about and a bit of a giggle about and you're absolutely right we connected with him and that was something that over time that i can honestly say that i brought through in my practice my nutrition consultations are not all about food and about nutrition. They're about life and they're about connecting with people. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it? Important to remember. How do you continue your own education about nutrition? I think there's probably there's a couple of different stimulus uh, that I learned from within my, my professional career. Very fortunate to learn about leadership from people like Sir Lancaster, from Neil Cullen, from Jim Gavin, from the Dublin Senior Football Team. And you start to see that these people have a very unique skill to create a clear vision in their mind about what they, what they want to achieve. And then they understand the different elements that they need to do to coach, to execute that vision. So that makes me reflect on my a vision for food and vision for nutrition and how I need to help people to understand all of the different things to execute that vision. From an academic point of view, I've just finished a, a postgrad. I went back to do that while I was writing the book and trying to build a, a new website. And that was incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable. So it forces you to have a timeline. It forces you to pick a subject matter that you want to study. And it continues to improve your ability to assimilate information and execute a project or, or a task. And that's also important. So there is the personal development within my interest in coaching through podcasts, through my own reading, through watching videos, through watching online courses. Then there's the there's behavior change elements that I'm learning in terms of psychology. I did a course in, in London on, on behavior change. And I suppose coaching, uh, that was before, before Christmas. And then it's about seeing what within my skill set will give me the greatest value to help people to continue to learn and perform better and live healthier lives. Is there any food that you would recommend for students to keep them sharp or focused when they're doing an exam? I think something that is worth mentioning and something that's unbelievably simple that I didn't get right and I didn't understand. When I was in school, 
what's the typical, what's the number one thing that uh, a child will get up in the morning and have and then have at lunchtime? What's the most common two things? What would a child have for breakfast and what would they have for lunch? Well, they have cornflakes for breakfast. Yeah. And for lunch, they'll probably have, well, they'll have a sandwich. They'll have a, a cheese or tomato sandwich or Bingo. ham sandwich. Bingo. So that's what I grew up in. I would have had, maybe I would have had porridge, but more than likely it was a bowl of cereal and then it was a sandwich at lunchtime. And let me tell you that by two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I was a different person. All I could think about was how hungry I was. I was growing, I was exercising, I was burning a huge amount of calories. I already had a big appetite. And what I had given myself was somewhere in the region of at the absolute maximum was a thousand calories. At a period in the time during which I needed maybe twice that for the volume of work that I was doing and the amount of energy my brain was, was using in school. So we have set ourselves up from a nutrition point of view to fail in school by following that type of nutrition practice. We haven't given ourselves enough energy to maintain stable energy levels. And we don't have what we call enough of the right type of spread of nutrients at, at a critical portion of the day. So the first thing I'll say is that we need a mixed meal at both points. And a mixed meal is carbohydrate, protein, and fat. For breakfast, we're getting predominantly carbohydrate. And at lunch, we're getting predominantly carbohydrate, which is digested. Those two meals, your cereals and your bread, is digested very quickly. So if you're not getting enough energy, but we're also not getting enough protein and fat. So that's why I say, if you can get up in the morning and have a mixed meal, and a mixed meal just means it could be toast and scrambled eggs, it can be an omelette and brown bread, it can be porridge with yogurt or boiled eggs. It's not, it's not like that this is alien stuff. It can be overnight oats with added yogurt. But what we're providing then is a combination of, of, of nutrients and exactly the same at lunchtime. We need a mix of nutrients. So if it is a sandwich, we really need to increase the protein component or we need to increase the fat component from a healthy point of view, from healthy food sources. Or in the ideal world, we bring foods with us from the night before. So it's a pre-packed lunch or it's dinner from the night before. We've made an extra portion and that's what we have for lunch. You will not believe the difference in how you feel and how stable your energy levels will be. And you're not coming over coming home, knocking down the door, trying to get in to get your dinner. So it's, it, it's the overall balance rather than a specific food, once again. Most definitely. Of course, you could talk about things like the impact of, of, let's say, fish and fish oils on our brain because our brains are made up of so much healthy fat tissue. But what's going to make the biggest difference? Kids being hydrated in school and getting the right energy, the right type of food at the right time. What have you changed your mind on? in nutrition over time? The idea of what balance looks like has dramatically changed, dramatically changed. I, I don't want to use the word obsessive because I don't believe I'm obsessive. I think I'm disciplined. Consistent. And consistent, yeah. That's how I feel about it. Other people may view my behaviors rather than seeing it as consistent, maybe seeing it as extreme, but in my mind, it's, it's not. I think we've lost sight of what 
balance and what normality actually is. So when people say to me, you don't need any takeaways, I'm like, no, I, I don't because I don't really enjoy takeaways. I'd rather make my own pizza or make my own food. But what I have come to realize is that for people who do eat a, maybe a more treat-type foods or snack foods or order takeaway, I don't have the same level of judgment of them that I once may have. And it's not just about judgment, but I would have felt that there was a bit more right and wrong or black and white, whereas I don't know. I now think if they need that to stay more consistent within their own behaviors, and they have such an enjoyable time with their partner and eating that on a Friday or Saturday night, and they're not doing it too frequently, well, then you go and enjoy that. That's changed in my mind. I've become a lot more easygoing about how those foods come into people's lives. Finally, before I ask you about your website and um, you know, how, how people can contact you, when this whole COVID-19 thing is over, are you expecting to be going back to much heavier sports people and trying to help them to slim down after what they're going through now? Oh God, no, no, no. The most, one of the most refreshing, positive things about this time has been how my interactions have been so positive with the athletes that I've worked with. Like my phone call, I, I, just before now, I've, I, had a, I had a Zoom call with one of my athletes and it's just such a pleasure to engage with them because they're so accountable to themselves. And because they, they know what works well for them, they have more than enough knowledge and experience to be able to deal with this time themselves. It's actually the other end. It's, it's helping them to navigate their routines and keeping them in a in really positive mind space. There's not going to be athletes coming back that I'm worried about. In fact, the guys who had work to do in terms of their body composition have already nailed it now because they feel like it's been an opportunity for them to work a little bit more diligently on it. So, no, uh, I don't have any of those concerns. Okay, that's, that's, that's good because it must be so difficult for them to have an entire season just vanish. I, 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 will, I will say you haven't... Uh, sometimes I get this question about what inspires me or influences me now. I had a conversation with um, an athlete during the week and I wasn't in a particularly great headspace myself. Like I, I, I wasn't top of the stars and uh, we started talking about the current situation and this one particular athlete said to me, he says, well, what have we got to worry about? He, and I said, yeah. And he said, I'm just going to manage today and, and tomorrow I'll manage that day and so we'll see what happens. And uh, I was like, wow, like this, there's so much at stake. This person's ultimately, they're defined by the outcome of a season and they're not thinking like that. And I'm inspired by that. I take away and I think about, you know what? They're, they're, there's a, someone that lives for their, their job and sport and they're just doing the best they can in this current moment. So I am inspired by their language, their behaviours, and how good they are at just being in the present. Daniel, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the insights you've given there on nutrition and education. 
if people want to find out more about your work, obviously they can get your book, which is Eat Up, Raise Your Game. But um, on social media, how can they find you? In the last, I'm going to say year, I rebranded under Davey Nutrition. Uh, a lot of people think I'm David or Dave, but no, still it's, I use my second name. And so you'll get me at Davey Nutrition on Instagram. And I've just launched my new website and that's DaveyNutrition.com. And I have a blog where I'm going to be sharing lots of articles and information on that. And the unique thing about my website is that it's geared up for people to understand better how recipes can align to exercise. And believe it or not, there's fully customizable meal plans. So the idea of my meal plans are that they provide people with the framework for education, but they're fully customizable. So if you have chicken tikka or you have spaghetti bolognese, well, that's your choice, but you'll know the information associated with it and how that helps you achieve your goal. And that website is davynutrition.com. It's hosted by today's guest, performance nutritionist, website entrepreneur, and cookbook author, Daniel Davy. I want to thank Daniel for his time in recording the interview. You can download this podcast and 398 previous episodes of Inside Education by going to seandelaney.com and clicking on podcasts. You can get in touch with me by writing to insideeducationpodcast at yahoo.com. I'd be delighted if you'd get in touch to recommend a guest or a topic for a future podcast. You can follow me on Twitter where I use the handle at InsideEd. My book about teaching, Become the Primary Teacher Everyone Wants to Have, is available from all good libraries and from online bookstores. Next week is the 400th episode of Inside Education and I'll have a special guest for you to meet on the programme. The hint I'll give you is it has to do with storytelling. Until then, this is Sean Delaney saying goodbye. Thank you for listening.